Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I am Gabe. I'm Tasha. We're on season four, episode 16, Tortured. This episode took me on so many twists and turns. Like, I'm surprised every time, but we thought we were going somewhere, and then all of a sudden it's like, er, no, over here. Mm-hmm. I kind of loved it. Did you like this episode? I did. And I'll take anything that's not about kids, so. Right. No matter how fucked up. Or the opening scene, this lady sex worker and some dude in an alley and they're about to get busy, but her phone rings. She's like, I got to take this, make a sound and I'll cut your balls off. And I was like, we love her. Love her. So she answers the phone and talking to her kid and she's like, where does it hurt? Are you okay? Ask the babysitter. He's getting mad and he's like, can I have my money back? She just like waves him off. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He walks away like, I'll find a better piece of ass. (laughs) He walks away and sees a woman propped up on some pallets and she's just wearing a bra and a skirt. She looks dead. She looks to be dead. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are on the scene. They're talking to the responding officer. She says that she heard somebody scream and they're like, oh my God you heard the actual crime being committed and she was like no I heard the guy scream and then like made fun of him what? she was like the tough guy in the parka and I'm like did you just make fun of a guy that came across a murder and screamed <laughs> like fuck you dude did you hear that no I must have like it was a two second thing and he heard it because the camera showed him going like what what a bitch <laughs> I know like yeah there's a dead body here but like you were such a pussy about it <laughs> Exactly. So Benson and Stabler are now examining the victim. She's posed. Uh, She has ligature marks around her neck. And her skirt was cut a lot shorter than apparently what it was. And there's blood on her boot. Yeah, she's wearing these tall-ass boots. Mm -hmm. Stabler says that the perp probably posed her to get attention. So Mm -hmm. Stabler starts taking off the boot because there's blood on it. And he's like, whoa, Liv. She's fucking missing a fucking foot. Yeah. And then Olivia's like, um, hey, guys. Anyone seen a fucking foot around? (laughs) Has anyone found a severed foot? And they're all like, (laughs) we'll look. (laughs) We'll look. I'm surprised you haven't found it already. You're so good at this. She's like, she's like, oh, oh, it's in the back of my throat. (laughs) This whole time? (laughs) Theme song. Dun, dun. Now we're in Coroner Warner's office. Benson and Stabler are going over the autopsy with her. The victim is an Asian female in her mid-20s. It looks like the left foot was sawed off rather than like a chop. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably a small, fancier, serrated kitchen knife. It was cut off after she was dead, thankfully. I mean, not thankfully she's dead, but like, right. Jesus Christ. So the actual cause of death is strangulation with braided copper wire. Also, they do a close-up of her fucking... <laughs> They do a close-up of the neck, and you can see her heart beating through her skin. Like, you can see the the actor trying to be like... (laughs) Did you notice that? (laughs) No! I was looking at the mark on her neck that they were showing a close-up of. Because they're like, the impression shows it was a braided wire, 10 threads, 12 or 14 gauge. And Benson's like, now's a good time for a joke. And goes, could you be a little more specific? (laughs) An animal from the Muppets comes in with a rim shot, like... And Stabler's like, I'll tell the dad jokes around here. (laughs) She was actually strangled by those braided belts that everybody wore in the 90s, including me. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was my dad. (laughs) So there are no signs of STIs or cervical dysplasia. And there's not any prints in the system. So she probably wasn't a sex worker. Corner Warner also found healed burn marks on the victim's genitals. Probably from electric shock. She also found old tears to her rotator cuffs 
and damage to her wrist. So she was probably tortured in the past. At the precinct, Benson and Stabler are going over the case with Craig and Munch and Toots. The burns on her genitals are actually a few years old, so there could have been multiple attacks on her. Mm-hmm. Toots is like, mm, it's probably S&M. Restraints, a painful game of shot the kitty. I have really been fucking hating his input lately. Okay, shot the kitty? Oh my God. Uh, I didn't even hear that. Ew. Huang walks in and Craigan's like, what are your thoughts? He also walks in like he was just stopping by to say hi. And they're like, oh, perfect. <laughs> he was just like, <laughs> he had his hands in his pockets looking around. He's like, hey guys, what's up? Oh. <laughs> so Huang's like, actually, I do have some thoughts. These old scars mm-hmm. are political torture signatures of the Chinese army occupying Tibet. So I'm going to take a shot at she's Tibetan. And oh my God, this, this is part. very far off from what you think. And Munch is like, maybe she was a nun. I understand they're a favorite target, right? Agent Huang. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Are you intimidated? Yeah, dude. And then uh, he, he was literally asked for his input. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Huang's like, bitch, you have no idea how shady I am. And goes, according to Physicians for Human Rights, of which I am a member, um, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> that was so fucking, such a racist fucking thing to say. Like, you know what I mean? Like, fuck you. Cause, you know, Wong's Chinese. Mm-hmm. It's like, you fucking rat king motherfucker. You, like, fuck yeah. off. You fucking Jesus. pile of dead rodents. Like, what is this interaction? I don't know. And why does and nobody call him out on that shit? Why wasn't Craig or somebody like, whoa, 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 dude? Like, you not know? Not only is that a not productive thing to say, you bag of rat bones, but it's uh, racist but, as fuck and super unhelpful and weird. And also, he walked in and I literally stopped him as he was walking toward the coffee maker to ask him his opinion and dumped a file on him. He's like, right. oh, it's wow, like, I actually do have some knowledge here that I can help with this investigation. And much is like, yeah, but you're Chinese. So <laughs> it's like, what? I was like, Papa Cragen, like, where are you on this? That should have at least been a timeout. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So Cragen's like, all right, well, maybe she's in the U.S. seeking political asylum. They're going to mm-hmm. go check with INS. Cragen thinks also that maybe cutting off the foot was a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her torturer maybe followed her here. At Immigration and Naturalization Services slash the INS office. Munch and Toots are talking to this INS worker. This woman is fucking giving Kathy Moriarty, okay? She's a Trumpy-ass bitch who's like, ugh, gross. We get a million immigrants a year with 10% claiming to be political refugees. Not to mention the fucking mill and a half illegals. I'm building a wall around my desk. She was such a fucking bitch and I hated her. I know, it's like, don't work here. Uh, Yeah. Munch starts talking to this fucking brick wall about what America's supposed to be, you know, for the tired, poor, huddled masses. Yeah, he goes, he goes, Jesus, almost like someone hung out outside welcoming your poor, your tired, and your huddled masses. But then she's like, shut up. I got a hit on the prints. Mm-hmm. The victim's fingerprints match the fingerprints on file with INS. Kunsong Tashi from Tibet. And she's classified as a resident alien. Kunsong never applied for political asylum, but was on a marriage visa for her marriage to Preston Bennett. Mm-hmm. Now, if you excuse me, gentlemen, I have to go get rid of the ghosts in this mansion I inherited from my dad. <laughs> Kathy Moriarty. <laughs> Jesus. Now Benson and Stabler are at BNC Importers. They're talking with Kunsong's husband, Preston. He's super upset and he's crying. Yeah, he's talking to them about meeting his wife. And as he's doing it, he just like turns around and starts walking away. And they're just like, well, I guess we're just following him. <laughs> he tells them that he met Kunsong in Tibet. 
he says that they never fought ever. And they're like, why the fuck didn't you fucking report her? It's super weird. And he says he didn't report her as missing because he thought she was at Bellevue Center Program for Torture Survivors, where she volunteered and attended group therapy. He says that Kunsong was tortured in Tibet after attending a demonstration. She was kept for a fucking month by the police. And they did all kinds of fucked up shit. The center was a godsend and helped her so much. And that she didn't and she didn't have any issues with anyone there. And Stable just like kind of in his face. Why didn't she call you? Is it normal? Bennett says it was normal for Kunsong to be at the center for a lot of hours or overnight without even calling. Yeah, she's legit at the survivor center sitting with new people fresh out of torture situations and shit. So mm-hmm. he has no expectation for her to check in or be home yeah. or anything. So now Benson and Stabler are doing a walk and talk. Stabler doesn't believe Bennett's story because if Kath or the kids were out all night, he doubts they wouldn't call and let him know. He's like, I'd be out there searching for him. I'm a dad and a husband. <laughs> Benson's like, you stupid asshole. Yeah. She's like, well, you don't always call Kathy when you're working long hours. And he's like, that's different. I'm, <laughs> I'm on the man. job. And she's like, well, so was Kunsong. She was helping other people at the center. Ugh, his misogyny is uh. showing and I hate it. At Bellevue, Benson and Stabler are talking with the center director. Ooh, this is Jody Long. She plays Margaret Cho's mom in All American Girl. Remember, I loved that show. Mm. I mentioned it recently. Also, I failed to mention this. B.D. Wong played her brother on that show. I don't remember that at all. Oh, So this lady says that Kun Song would stay and talk to survivors for hours and hours even though it opened up old wounds and i'm like oh my god you're a saint but also like take care of yourself honey (laughs) the director tells benson stabler what happened in tibet so she was stripped naked held in a small cage beaten starved and was raped they used cattle prods on a lot of their victims she says that they did that a lot because it didn't leave scars and stabler says she had scars (sighs) this lady tells them that the only reason kunsong had scars is because the guard raping her exceeded the mandated voltage jesus christ insane then kunsong support group comes in and they're getting ready to have a memorial they're fucking like kunsong's family i guess Mm -hmm. i mean they've all like i'm sure trauma bonded so hard of course yeah. The center director says that Kun Song was at the center yesterday and left alone around 5 p.m. after translating some affidavits for asylum victims. She also says that Kun Song's marriage was totally fine. Benson says, I kind of have a hard time believing that considering what she's been through. It would probably be hard to be in a relationship. Yeah. You don't have to know what a river is to see that she's not telling the entire truth here. <laughs> That's what I thought initially anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Once again, you guys, we're not, we're not in water right now, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> she tells them that Bennett loved Kunsong, but was slightly overprotective. Mm-hmm. And then Benson's like, do go on. <laughs> or the director kind of gets uncomfortable. She says that Kunsong was a little paranoid from being tortured. Of course, it's totally normal. Right. So many victims have relocated to America, and who knows how many of their torturers did too. Kunsong had been more involved with activism and went to a protest the week before with another person from the Tibetan group, Dechen Gyotso. And she knows where they can find her. At the public demonstration for Tibetan freedom, Munch and Toots are looking for Dechen. And they find her in the crowd. Munch is soups down with the group exercising their rights to peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. And they want to talk to her about the demonstration from the week before. Dechen is played by Jolly Abraham, who comes back in 2013 as reoccurring character Dr. Patel. So we'll see her in the mm-hmm. future. 
The prior week's demonstration was in front of a brokerage firm to protest the funding of a pipeline through Tibet. Billions mm -hmm. of dollars may have been lost from the parent company pulling funds, and Toots thinks that that could be the fuel for Kunsong's murder. I've seen a dude kill someone over pizza. <laughs> Good input, Toots. He's like, I haven't said anything in a little while. Dechen says the demonstration was fine, no threats, the cops didn't even show up, NBD, but Kunsong's husband showed up at one point and took her away. He was yelling at her and she was crying. In the precinct interview room, Stabler is talking to Bennett. Benny and Stabes are fucking giving it to him because he Ooh. lied about him and Kunsong never fighting. He drug her away crying in front of 100 witnesses. Right. They're like, you're a controlling piece of shit. And Bennett's like, I was protecting her. I'm going to send it to you. I took a video. I'm going to post it. Follow us on Instagram. Stabes squats over Bennett's left shoulder and goes, from what? Becoming a dependent and moving on? And Bennett's like, I thought it was too soon for Kunsong to be at this demonstration. Stabler's still squatting next to him, but then Benny squats over his right shoulder and goes, to get on with her life? <laughs> They were at the end of their three-year probationary period with the INS, and if she had been arrested at the demonstration, she could have been deported back to Tibet. A.K.A. hell. Yeah, and to me, I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. He's scared. Like, this is all fear-based, his response and whatever. So then Toots comes in. There is a 911 history at the Bennett house. A neighbor called 911 because they heard Kunsong screaming in the middle of the night on a regular basis. And Bennett mm. is, he's got an answer he's for everything they're asking. And they're all legit answers. And he's so fucking frustrated by this point. He's like, holy uh -huh. shit, my wife was in a torture situation. She had nightmares about being back in Tibet and she would wake up and just fucking scream her head off. PTSD, dude. Yeah. And mm -hmm. Stabler's like, well, someone shut her up with a wire across her vocal cords. Jesus Christ. Bennett claims to be a Buddhist and that he would never hurt Kunsong. But Toot says that the neighbor who called 911 reported that Bennett threatened them the day after the 911 call was made. And he's like, oh my God, okay? The cops showing up only scared Kunsong more because of what happens in Tibet. Fucking men in uniform show up in the middle of the night? Yeah. <laughs> he said that's how nightmares start where she's from. Exactly. And unless this is a police state too, I'm assuming I'm free to leave. His fucking it's veins in his neck are insane. He storms out of the interview room door. He fucking angry opens it and he takes one, two, three steps to the next door and angry opens that too. And it was comedy gold. But it was just like that thing, that dude that we laugh yes! at every year. <laughs> that that oh was God. in my okay. notes. I was like, <laughs> you notice how he did the door. I love you so much. Yes. He, um, I took a video of it. I have to find that. I'm sure it's in our Facebook back and forth for the last. Like, it's 10 about years. that time. Is it? It's about that time. Yeah. It's oh, about yeah, it's a I think fall. It's usually like August. It's a fall celebration. Yeah. Early fall. I start. Um, I start feeling it. And then I'm like. <laughs> Something's coming. I don't know what it is. Ow. Something wonderful. <laughs> Something um, wonderful is on its way. So I want to do. I yeah. I want to post both. So we'll like post the this clip, and then we'll post the other. Something clip. wicked this way comes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I believe him. Stabes doesn't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we're in the squad room. The whole gang is going over details and info about Bennett. So Stabler's like, this dude keeps blaming anything that happens in their marriage on her horrible past. How could he? <laughs> and Craigan's like, we got to find a fucking paper trail. But so far, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. There's no life insurance policy. Bennett isn't making any money off Kunsong's death. But is his alibi airtight? Benson says that he was home alone and made no phone calls on the night of the murder. Obviously, there's no one to confirm that. Mm -hmm. 
And well, 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 Munch says he found a charge on Bennett's corporate card from 6 p.m. the night of Kunsong's murder at a place called Hello Dali. It's that? actually pronounced Hello Dolly. And I was like, OMG, what oh. a cute and clever fucking name for this Tibetan restaurant in Greenwich yeah. Village. Yeah. Hello, Dolly. It's such a white people thing to do. It is. <laughs> That's where they have shrimpuras or whatever. Shrimpuras. <laughs> yeah. And then Benson hops up and she's like, oh my God, I've totally been there. It's a Tibetan restaurant in the village. And I'm like, of course you have, Benson. <laughs> Jeremy's right in shit. I've been interrupted on a date there. So yeah, let's go. <laughs> At the Hello, Dolly restaurant, Munch and Toots are talking to a restaurant employee who is also wearing transitions lenses. Mm -hmm. Benson and Kunsong are regulars there, but they hadn't been there in a few weeks. Kunsong had been in the night of the murder with another man. Um, sorry, what? The guy, <laughs> the guy Kunsong was with signed the credit card receipt and left a big old tip, even though they had used Bennett's credit card. Munch mm -hmm. and Toots sit and speculate about Kunsong stepping out on Bennett, but then the restaurant manager comes out and says, um, the guy's Mr. Chambers, Bennett's business partner, and he's authorized to use the card. I love how the restaurant employee prior to the restaurant manager coming out is like, bitch, she was here with another man. I know. <sighs> I'm going to go get the manager. And the manager's like, we fully know that guy. Um, he's the C in C&B Imports. Okay. Yeah. And Munch is like, Mr. Bennett's business partner? And Juice goes, <laughs> the triangle thick. Yes. So I have never <laughs> fucking heard that saying before. It's not a it's turn like of he, phrase. He like mashed up love, love triangle and plot thickens or something. He's like, <laughs> the triangle thickens. And I was like, I'm sorry. Blink, blink, blink. What? What? <laughs> Which I'm going to be saying that all the time now. The triangle thickens. What? Nobody even gave him a second look on it. They're just like, it sure does. Better get on it. Mm -hmm. The thick triangle. <laughs> that triangle is fucking thick. And it keeps getting thicker. <laughs> now we're at Chambers' apartment. Benson and Stabler are at the door trying to get Chambers to talk about Kunsong. Okay, so... Chambers is played by Paul Fitzgerald. He comes back two more times to SVU, and he also played Owen Pierce in Veep. So Chamber tells Benson Stabler that it's not a good time and tries to shut the door on them. And then they're like, I'm sorry, you were having an affair with Kun Song. And he's like, no. Nah. And tries to close the door again. <laughs> like, and was it Toots who's like, Preston, no, you were banging his wife? Benson tells Chambers that he was the last person who saw Kunsong alive and he's got to come with him. All of a sudden you hear a voice say, that won't be necessary, detectives. Mm -hmm. And the door opens a little more and Bennett is there. First twist. What? First big old twist. No, the first twist was the foot. Okay. Taking oh, yeah. the boot off, finding the, finding the not, not the, not finding the foot. This is the second big twist, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So now everybody's in the apartment. Fucking Bennett and Chambers are a couple. Kunsong knew the marriage was just to get her in the country. Bennett and Kunsong super cared for each other. And that's why he brought her to the U.S. and married her. Yeah. Bennett had been avoiding the detectives because he didn't want to be put in prison for lying to the INS. He violated federal immigration laws and could get the import business taken away. Mm -hmm. And then Benson's like, well, you better tell us who killed Kunsong or I'm going to fill the feds in. 
fucking bitch. Which is some bullshit. So Chambers and Coonsong were having dinner to kind of bury the hatchet. When Chambers got back from dinner, Bennett was at their apartment already. Coonsong had been living with Bennett and Chambers for like three years almost, but moved out recently when she felt like she was straining Bennett and Chambers' relationship. It, her apartment is in Chambers' name, so the INS wouldn't know she moved. I also love them for doing this for her. Ugh. Yeah. In Kunsang's apartment, Benny and Stabler are searching for any kind of evidence. The most ridiculous fucking part of this is that it's an extremely small and sparse space, but this mm-hmm. is the longest they've looked for evidence and not found anything. I know. And there's a whole CSU unit there. They're like, everything is clear. Everybody, yeah. We <laughs> turn over every fucking leaf. It's like the shit is hanging out. There's like two leaves. There's a. <laughs> you know? There's a. <laughs> So finally, they come across this newspaper. It's got an ad for furniture circled in the classifieds. Kun Song was going to check out a piece of furniture the day she died. <gasps> mm. So they're like, let's go check out where this fucking couch was. They go to this dude's apartment. His name is Polly. Okay. Holy shit. We all know him from stuff. Yeah. It is Steve Sharippa, Bobby Bachelary from The Sopranos. Now he's in Blue Bloods, 109 episodes of that shit. I love this guy. We all yeah, do. he's great. Yeah. Kunsang was supposed to go look at the furniture after six. I told her to come after six and she never showed. Kunsang was eating four blocks away with Chambers, so it should have been on her way. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. They keep questioning him about this couch sale. And as we're going through this scene, we're like, oh, this guy's guilty of something. Because he's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And they're like, well, where's the couch then? This doesn't look like a floral print. And he's like, I already sold it to some sorority chick. I don't know, Buffy, Cindy, something like that. <laughs> Benny goes, you don't really seem like the floral print type. He goes, oh, the couch belonged to my ex. Benny continues with being super skeptical. She, this is such a cunty thing to say, by the way. Yeah. She goes, now why would she leave a catch like you? It's like, (laughs) fuck, wow, bitch. And he had this fucking in the front pocket and goes, because she's a whore and she found a fatter wallet. Okay. Uh, I, also, I like the way he he says "hoa" like like Danny DeVito and "hoa hoa hoa." She's a hoa. So then Stabes points at this big collection of knives that are on the wall, like back by the kitchen, and he goes, "Is that knife collection hers? That worthless bitch couldn't boil water. Those are mine." <laughs> I had all this transcribed too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it it looks like a knife collection that a chef would have. It's like they're all very mm-hmm. nice, like the magnetized fucking thing up on the wall and whatever. Yeah. This guy's making veal cutlets. <laughs> now we're in the precinct. Benson and Stabler are talking to fucking Papa Cragen about Polly. Did his kid have a baby or something? Why are we calling him Papa Cragen like he's his like granddad? I, just, I don't know. Benson thinks that Polly's couch ad is like a perfect scam to get women into his house. And I'm like, Craigslist, okay? Yeah. This is fucking what we do. Craigslist. list. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> There's also no proof that the couch ever existed. And Benson Stabler trying to find this bitch whore of an ex. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and the only priors Polly has are two drunken disorderlies from a hot minute ago. Yeah. So the knives in the couch are all just circumstantial. They need more to get a search warrant. Of course, they always need more. Right. Benson answers the phone for 0.5 seconds, slams the phone down on the receiver like she hates whoever called it. (laughs) It was crazy. It was the lab. They have some info on the fucking boots. Oh, when we cut to the crime lab, it actually starts on an extreme close up of these boots and then pans out to show everybody hanging out. They're knee high Mm -hmm. lace up dark red stilettos with a lime green heel an unexpected detail that I loved. The fucking neon green heel is everything. Isn't it? 
Oh my god, yeah. yeah. It was good. Yeah, I don't even care about shoe stuff, but I was like, that's cool. Thou at the crime lab, hot bomb squad crime lab guy found zero prints, but says something is definitely afoot. And I was like, okay, Ew. fucking relax. Relax, bomb squad. <laughs> Turns out the boots are not Kun Song's size, and the wear marks show that they weren't her boots. They're two and a half sizes too big. And Benson's like, oh my god, they're a very expensive brand. Jacques Lecour or whatever. Oh my God, these boots are Jacques Lecour. These are $700 boots. That's over $1,100 today. And I was like, of course she would know that she's a chick, right, you guys? Mm. But, then, but then she's like, they're like, oh my God, they were too big. And she's like, and they were super expensive. And there's a hard zoom in on Stabler's face as he stares off and goes, these weren't her boots. <laughs> So the wear pattern on the boots says that the person who bought and wore them were pigeon-toed. Now we're at the Jacques Lecour store or whatever. Jacques Lecour. Whatever. Munch and Toots are speaking with the store employee. Or they want a lot number or any way of tracking the shoes purchasing place, but there's no way to do that without the box. They show the employee a picture of the boots and she's like, oh my God, those are a prototype. They won't be in stores for a month. The only person with access to those boots is Lori Schneider. Munch and Toots find her at some runway show. Boom, boom, boom. Get in the back. Adjust this. Whatever. It was like, did you watch that Victoria's Secret documentary yet? No. Oh, it's anyway, it just reminded me of like backstage at this fucking fashion show. She is busy, 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 running around, yeah. pinning shit, making orders, whatever. She's one of the stylists in the Hunger Games uh, with Lenny Kravitz, P.S. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's not a joke. She genuinely played that person. Oh, OK. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the boots were worn by a model named Crystal in a show the previous month. Lori's kind of making it sound like Crystal must have taken the boots. She's like, fucking Crystal I'll probably talk about. <laughs> she's not supposed to do that. And they're like, well, we need to get a hold of her. And she goes, um, she's in Milan, actually. And they're like, she could be on Mars. We have to fucking get a hold of her. And she's like, okay, fine. I took the boots. Yeah, she really like... <laughs> Um, she's like, well, I had this fucking hot date and I wanted to wear these amazing hot shoes. And this guy took me to a goddamn bowling alley <laughs> and somebody stole my boots while I was wearing stupid ass bowling shoes. So they got to go to a fucking bowling alley. Beginning of the bowling alley scene, we see a hand set down a pair of bowling shoes and we hear the classic like, yeah, I remember her. <laughs> Benny and Stabes are talking to this little guy with a big ego claiming Lori was flirting with him. Okay. Mm -hmm. Marshall. Yeah, he was. Uh, He's like, she was super unhappy with her date and was totally hitting on me. Or like, sure, Jan. He had a Patton Oswald. Like, he looked like he could be like a young Patton Oswald type. Mm -hmm. Sure. But he's like, yeah, she wasn't happy with her date. She got really drunk, and I think she lost her shoes. Mm -hmm. Then he yells at the other dude cleaning the shoes behind him, and he's like, go fix the pin stuck in one of the lanes. Stabler follows that other employee who was going to fix the lane thing. This is Abe Drexler from Mad Men. Ow! Abe he Drexler? Who the fuck is that? He was in a good handful of episodes of Mad Men. So Stabler stops him so that he can talk to him about anything he might know. He tells Stabes that Marshall hits on every fucking woman who comes into the bowling alley. He never gets anywhere. And he wouldn't put it past Marshall to take things that don't belong to him. I wrote, I bet it's this dude works at a bowling alley because he loves feet, right? <sighs> Isn't that weird? I mean, I did not think that. But it's it was ended up being him. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. 
I, but I also don't have any faith in myself to call it. Cause every time I'm like, oh my God, Gabe, I was like, I think it's this. And you're like, you're just realizing that now. <laughs> I, I don't have faith in myself to. So the fact that I didn't see it and you did is not crazy to me. <laughs> you have a way higher track record of like picking up on this shit than I do. Yeah. So back in the precinct, the squad's looking into Marshall from the bowling alley. And Craigan's like, okay, any record of bowling alley guy crossing the foul line? <laughs> <laughs> I love that Dom DeLuise. <laughs> I, I love, I, I know nobody, nobody can see her, but she like tilted her head back a little bit. Like she was going to do a little like wolf howl. But when, <laughs> it was amazing. Your little lips. <laughs> so cute. Like, Marshall has <laughs> I, I wish I had it Marshall has no reported history so Munch mapped out all reports involving missing and stolen shoes in the area he is so fucking thorough he's got this whole fucking cork board with pins in it and shit mm -hmm. and going over it with Craig and he's like these are actually like where shoes were stolen and where whatever and da 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 like this was for full on robberies color coded and everything and Huang's mm -hmm. like well you can count out half that shit because someone with a shoe fetish would only steal shoes they wouldn't fuck mm -hmm. around with anything else Polly's apartment is in the middle of the heavily reported crimes on the map mm -hmm. that Munch made. There's only one violent offense involving missing shoes in that area. And it was just from a few weeks ago, a woman, Greta Thorson, was assaulted. When she woke up, her shoes were missing, but she couldn't describe the suspect. And Wong is surprised because usually shoe fetishism stuff doesn't go hand in hand with violent crime. Mm -hmm. Something is afoot. Afoot? <laughs> Craigan wants to put Polly's photo in a lineup to see if Greta recognizes him. Why am I calling him Papa? Because I did write, get him, Papa. I don't like that. I don't like it either. Get him, Daddy Craigan. Go get him, pals. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Papa? Papa, can you hear me? Now we're on the street. Benson and Stabler do a walk and talk with Greta. She has the cutest little purple earmuffs. Do you remember those? She was so cute and I tiny. Know. Greta's in a hurry and she says she doesn't have any more info and that she's going to be late for class. Benson's like, hey, those are some nice running shoes. And she's like, yeah, I'm afraid to wear heels since the attack, which seems to be a thing in this universe. What? Like women who have been assaulted wear running shoes. And then I wonder if that's a real, is that, if that's a thing in like real life. Oh, yeah. Well, she was afraid to wear heels after she got attacked, after she yeah. was attacked. And she goes, that bastard took three inches off my life. And I gave <laughs> yes. Jeremy credit for that. That was clever. <laughs> Greta tells him about the attack. It was dark. No one was around. She was choked when she was almost to her dorm. She was attacked from behind. And when he pulled her back, her head hit his chin. She was in three inch heels, making her five, four. Damn, she's like five one. Making her five four, so the attacker was around five eight to five ten. They show her the photo lineup, but dude attacked her from behind, so she never saw him. Greta had been in class all day that day, went to the bakery, and then she was on her way back from campus when the attack happened. Polly lives two blocks from the bakery Greta went to. What? So two blocks. Sorry. Two block oh my god, yeah. I didn't even <laughs> Oh, I thought two you were playing blocks. it cool. I was like, two fucking blocks? He lives two blocks from the fucking... Yeah, this oh is too God. easy. Jesus. Now we're at Ma's Bakery. Benson and Stabler are talking to the owner. She's super sweet. This woman is actor Margaret Collin. She was mm -hmm. also in Veep and a bunch of other stuff. Oh. She also played Tom Selleck's girlfriend in the 1987 movie Three Men and a Baby. I <gasps> loved that movie when I was a kid. Oh, loved me it. Too. Oh. Me too. Me too. 
they show her a picture of Greta and she recognizes her and she says she hasn't been in for a few weeks. She knows a lot about the people that come in because it's a little neighborhood bakery. And I'm like, you're in New York City. So, okay, whatever. But Benson shows the bakery owner Song's picture, but she doesn't know her. She only has two people working there. One being her little son, who is super cute and like new Polly's order mm-hmm. when they showed him a picture. He's like, yeah, that's fucking olive loaf or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Benson shows the bakery owner the photo lineup and she picks out Polly right away. He's a regular as well. In the precinct interrogation room, Polly's sitting there. Benson and Stabler walk in and mm-hmm. they are hard in on Benny coming with a skirt and click, clack, click, clack, fucking heels. Mm-hmm. She is showing them off. She does a couple laps around the room. Like fucking little mm-hmm. horse trots. So cute. But we know the point of it, right? They're like gauging how he responds. They want to see if he gets distracted. Yes. He does not acknowledge it at all. And yeah. I mean, she sits down and crosses her legs like, like she's goddamn Sharon Stone. Mm. Yeah. So he doesn't acknowledge this at all. The shoe's nothing. He's just like, what am I doing here? I don't know what's happening. I'm in an interrogation room right now. What the fuck? And she's like, okay, I'm going to like tuck my little gams under the table because this isn't working. Well, she looks over at Stabler too. And he like does the whole like hand over the throat thing. Like, eh, put him away. Yeah. He's he's not interested. Yeah. Put him away. (laughs) Stabler's going down the elements of Kunsong's murder. And Polly's like, nope, don't know anything about it. Don't have anything to do with it. A lot of shoulder work from this guy. And so Benson takes over and starts talking about Greta's attack. Again, Polly's like, nope, not me. I don't know anything. Olive loaf. They also bring up (laughs) other similar crimes in the area. Again, nope, can't help you. Yeah, he's like, that thieving whore of an ex robs me blind and I'm being accused of stealing? Mm -hmm. He then is like, yeah, you can come search my apartment. Come look. You could see that I didn't commit any crimes. Nothing. Yeah, so I was like, okay, it's not him, because he would be like, no. He was very much, I would have been hard-pressed to believe it was him by this point. Yeah. Especially when everything was pointing to him so hard, and we're only like 25 minutes in. Yeah. But what's the next twist? (laughs) So, now we're in the lab. Hot bomb squad lab guy goes over the findings from Polly's apartment. We dusted floor to ceiling, vacuumed the carpet, hopped on the trampoline, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Check the ceiling. <laughs> Nothing was found at Polly's apartment that proves that she was ever even there. Mm-hmm. But there was something on the notepad they found at Song's place. This like nerdy fun lab guy <laughs> shows them some static device thing that I'm not going to go into because I don't know. It can show writing indentation on pages. I thought he was just going to do the thing that the dude does at Jackie Treehorn's house and fucking scribbles over the thing to get the impression. And he just like scribbles over it with a pencil. Yeah. And he's like, actually, it's extremely high tech. Yeah. There's like some whatever magnet thing. I'm like, it's really hard. Magnets. So on the notepad that Kunsong had, there's indentations from Kunsong writing down the address to go pick up the couch. But... She inverted the numbers. She wrote the fucking address down wrong. Gas. It wasn't Polly's. Who the fuck lives at this other place? Yeah. Oh, my God. So now they go to 642 Houston Street, the address that she had inadvertently written down. Ooh, mm-hmm. They bump into who? The bakery owner. Kunsong wrote down the address to the apartment above the bakery. And they're like, do you know mm-hmm. who lives up there? And she's like, she's like, you want some banana bread? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I do. I live there with my two sons. 
The young one's name is Brendan. The one who knew Polly was Olive Loaf. The Olive Loaf, yeah. And her older son, Jerry. She's like, hey, Jerry, up to the window. <laughs> He's like, what, ma? <laughs> this dude fucking pops his head out the window. OMG, it's the fucking kid from the bowling alley. The one who hates his turd of a boss that Gabe knew was the bad guy and I didn't know. Fucking that guy. Twist. To me, that twist. was another twist. Gabe was already like ahead of it. But that was a twist. That was mm -hmm. a twist. Because we're like, right. <gasps> in the precinct interrogation room, Benson and Stabler bring in a box of Jerry's shit after searching his room. He jumps up and he's upset. He's like, you can't touch my things. And Stabler does a like bigger brother forearm, pushes him down back. He's like, no, they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> like down on the chair. This isn't even your shit. Half of the stuff is stolen. Benson pulls out a pair of shoes and dangles them in Jerry's face. She says, your mom found you wearing a pair like these when you were five. And I'm like, so? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then Jerry goes, I'm not gay. I just like the way they look at other women. And I'm like, so? And then I'm like, oh my God, they're doing that thing where they're trying to parallel cross-dressing as a mental illness when gender mm -hmm. isn't even fucking real. You know what I mean? Right. I know. Yeah. He's like, I only collect shoes. It's harmless. Which it is. Okay. It is. They're fucking shoes. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Whatever. So Jerry had Greta's shoes from when... Remember Greta, she was attacked and her shoes were taken. Jerry had those. And then he says, oh, it was the first time I ever heard anyone. And then I'm like, oh my God. They also tell him that they found Koonsong's blood on the bakery delivery van. Music. Koonsong accidentally went to the wrong house and fucking got murdered. Mm -hmm. After everything she's fucking been through. Can you fuck? Ugh, whatever. Oh. They show Jerry the red and green boot from the crime scene, and Jerry starts to go over the attack. He spills everything. Mm -hmm. He says, she was like something out of my dreams, so I invited her in. So he was complimenting her super hard, and it was going really well till she was like, hey, where's the couch? <laughs> when he didn't have it, and she realized she was at the wrong place, she ran for the door, and he stopped her and asked her to try on a pair of shoes for him. She told him he was sick, and he snapped. The wire used to strangle Koonsong was from the TV Jerry was trying to fix. The knife he used to cut off Koonsong's foot was found in the bakery. They asked her why he cut her foot off, and he says, It's for my collection. They looked better with a real foot. But he's saying it like he knows it's fucked up. Yeah. In the courthouse, Jerry's lawyer, Gina, you know that one lady that we love? Gina Bernardo, Ileana Douglas... Mm -hmm. She catches up with Cabot in the hall. Cabot's like nice shoes. And she's like, thanks. I hate him too. But more importantly, so does Jerry. It's the yeah. only way I can get him to concentrate. I love that. Yeah. Gina hands Cabot three motions for the hearing. They were some Paula Poundstone ass shoes though. Right. <laughs> Paula Poundstone. Oh, God damn, Tasha. I love you. <laughs> you know who would fucking love those shoes? Fucking PP. Gina hands Cabot... <laughs> Gina hands Cabot three motions for the hearing, a psyche eval, IQ, and a physical and neurological. And Cabot's like, whatever the fuck you have planned for defense is going to be a bunch of shit. You know that, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're in the trial. Gina's questioning a neurologist regarding brain function and the tests that he ran on Jerry. He says that there's evidence of a recent subdural hematoma, which can create personality changes. It controls like right from wrong. Yeah. Yes. We take this guy seriously because he's got jowls and a bow tie. Mm -hmm. And Gina's like, let me get this straight. Let's say I have the urge to call my opposing counsel an uptight, self-righteous little bitch. My frontal <laughs> lobe knows that means sanctions and it keeps my mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah. And fucking 
It's got the cameras on Cabot the whole time, and she's eye rolling so hard that she doesn't even object. She doesn't say anything. She's just she's like, just okay, Christ. Gina. What a fucking fuck you, Gina. You you gotta kind of love it though. I bet you she's just like fucking stupid bitch. I want to go to lunch with her. I do. <laughs> yeah. So there was a PET scan done on Jerry and it showed that he had decreased frontal brain activity from an injury, which means that he wouldn't be capable of controlling urges like a person who didn't have that kind of brain injury. Mm-hmm. Cabot's like the theory's kind of bullshit and the study you did was really, really tiny. So... Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, well, actually, they kind of well actually each other for a while. <laughs> yeah, she's like, your theory ain't shit. He's like, well, actually, I did criminal land 20 years. She's like, well, actually, you're a piece of shit. And well, actually, Jerry's going to go to jail. <laughs> like, Well, actually, Gina thinks you're a stupid bitch. And <laughs> she's, he's like, she told me that. She's like, yeah, she told everybody that. I was there. <laughs> the fucking stenographer's like, she actually did self-righteous little bitch is actually what she said and they're like shut up matthew <laughs> so now jerry's mom is on the stand she says that jerry was always good but he changed in january after there was a robbery at the bakery so this person was in the bakery jerry tried to grab the guy's weapon away but instead he got hit in the head and hasn't been the same ever since mm-hmm. yeah she's like the guy who is not jerry's fault the guy who hurt jerry should be on trial yeah jerry was just trying to protect his mother in Craigan's office, Cabot, Craigan, and Huang are going over the case. Cabot hates that Gina is making the jury think Jerry is a hero. Huang says that the brain injury is legitimate, and Cabot says, but it's not an excuse, which of course it's not. Mm-hmm. Kunsong was fucking tortured in her past and never hurt anyone. Huang points out that Jerry's scan shows he had a lot of injuries over a long period of time. And then Cabot's like, well, that's weird the mom didn't mention it. And it's weird the doctor didn't mention it. They think the mom is making excuses and not telling the whole truth. Cabot's like, go find evidence she perjured herself on the stand. Okay, now we're at the fucking paramedic liftoff place. (laughs) Munch and Toots interview the paramedic that was on the scene when Jerry was hit in the head by the Baker burglar. He says that after Jerry was hit, he was in and out of consciousness and like couldn't answer any questions. Oh my God, this guy was also on The Sopranos. Oh. He played Tom Giglioni. Giglioni, cute. (laughs) (laughs) And I decided that he and Bobby carpooled to this episode together. Okay, they probably did. Oh, they lived together too. When EMS responded, Jerry was upstairs in his room. His little brother, Brendan, said he found him unconscious and couldn't wake him up. And the mom was downstairs in the bakery. And I'm like, um, okay, but why would Jerry be upstairs since there was a burglar downstairs where his mom said that they were? Yeah. And the guy's like, we didn't respond to a call from the bakery. We just responded to the apartment upstairs. Vincent and Stabler are doing a walk and talk with little Brendan. Brendan's like, I wonder why my mom lied. They ask him if she lies for Jerry a lot. And he says no. They kind of threaten to put his mom in jail if he doesn't talk. They tell him that Jerry probably hurts his mom too. And they want to stop him. And Brendan yells, you don't even know her. She's the one that hurt him. Here's the other twist. Yes. Brendan says she hit Jerry for the same reason she always hits him. She caught him with another pair of lady shoes. Fucking bitch. She hit Jerry with the shoe and it was a big wooden heel. Brendan says he blames Jerry for... Brendan says that his mom blames Jerry for the stepdad leaving because Jerry was an embarrassment. Brendan says his mom also hits him, but she, but he's like, I'm pretty quick. And she, can't, she can't catch me as much. Mm. Benson and Stabler speak with Gina and Jerry. Jerry doesn't want his mom to get in trouble. Jerry's trying to protect his mom, and he's like, you leave her out of this. There's more incredible writing here when Stabler says, we can't do that, Jerry. Not after the blow-by-blow blow Brendan gave us. Gina tells him that he can plead guilty but not responsible. Jerry's adamant that his mom wasn't involved and didn't hurt him. 
Benson Stabler kind of encouraged Jerry to tell on his mom so Brendan can't get hurt again. They're like, what about your little brother, dude? Okay, so the doctors told Jerry's mom that he had to be careful after one of his injuries. One day in the bakery, there was a girl in there and he started talking about her shoes in front of his mom. She fucking got pissed. She came at him with a frying pan and Jerry kept saying, not the head, ma. That pissed her off even more and she hit him on the side of the head and kept hitting him. Even, I mean, he was still laying, he was laying there and he was like begging her to stop and reminded her about what the doctor said. Then she grabbed the handle with both hands, bore down as hard as she could. And that's all he could remember. I was like, this fucking guy over shoes. Like you fucking. What a bitch. Yeah. Now we're in the bakery. Jerry's mom is being arrested for the murder of Coonsong. She's guilty of depraved indifference. That's murder too. She's pissed and screaming that Jerry has always been a sicko and nothing else worked besides hitting him. What a fucking cunt. That's yeah. it. End of episode. Toyota. Toy. You're a stupid bitch. I didn't see that part. I didn't see her. That shit with her. Mm. Who could have, though? No, because she was playing a very. No, it was like Ma's Bakery. This was a very twisty, very twisty yeah. episode. This was a twist cone of an episode. Yeah. This was the thickest triangle I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the study of brain injuries contributing to crime is a debated study, but began with the case of Charles Whitman. He was the guy who shot people from a tower at the University of Texas, and he mm -hmm. also killed his mom and his wife that day. When they did the autopsy on him, they found that he had a brain tumor. And so that's what really kicked off them being like, oh my God, did that affect his behavior, what he did? It's also been noted that many other prolific serial killers had sustained brain injuries, which could have led to their crimes. Yeah, the doctor mentioned that on the stand yeah he said there was like three different like huge things for that is like brain injury abuse uh, whatever yeah, psychosis yeah and yeah and this is all in this study that i read about it's called acquired sociopathy so yeah among these people are ed kemper john wayne gacy gary heidnick ed gein and this guy jerry mm. brudos you might know about this guy because happy anderson plays him in mindhunter okay <gasps> the shoe guy yes oh this is about that guy Yes. Jerome Henry Brudos was born on January 31st, 1939 in Webster, South Dakota. He went by Jerry. His mom, Eileen, resented him from the moment he was born because she had wanted a girl since she already had Jerry's older brother, Larry. He's, Jesus. I know. If he's been, just, just having that as you and your brother's name would make somebody a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, she didn't even want to have another kid. And then her husband was like, I do. So she's like, all right, well, I'm pregnant and I hope it's a girl. And it was it went a lot further than that. So he spent his childhood being emotionally and physically abused by her while Larry received her love and affection. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the family settled in Salem, Oregon. And when Jerry was five, he came across a pair of stiletto heels while playing in a junkyard. And he loved them so much. He brought them home. And when his mom saw the shoes, she flipped out and called him wicked for liking them. She's like, you need to take those back to the fucking junkyard. And instead of doing that, he hid them because he wanted to keep them. And mm -hmm. when she finally found them, she burned them in front of him. And that really pushed his interest in that. Yeah. After that, he tried to steal his first grade teacher's heels. He was also into women's underwear, but the shoes were his number one. By the time Brutus was a teenager, he was attacking women from behind and choking them until they passed out before taking off with their shoes. But the first time he ever accosted a woman, he was actually 17. He prepared for the attack by digging a hole in a remote area that he intended on using to keep sex slaves. He then abducted this girl at knife point, beat her up, and made 
made her undress and took photos of her. He was arrested for this and housed in the psych ward at the Oregon State Hospital for the next nine months where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And it was also shocker uncovered that a lot of his shit stemmed from his hatred for women because of his mother. Mm-hmm. This is where doctors learned about his most disturbing fantasies. He told them about his desires to kidnap women and put them in a freezer so he could put them in different sexual poses. And they're like, okay, cool. That doesn't seem too weird. And they released him. They just figured that he needed some time to mature. And this was some sort of phase thing. I have no fucking Mm -hmm. idea. But when Brutus was 21, he met and married his wife, 17-year-old Darcy Metzler. And they had two kids. Uh, He liked for his wife to do the house cleaning naked, wearing heels. He'd have her do this stuff. And she would, you know, pose for him. And he would photograph her and whatever. And eventually she's like, I'm fucking not down with this anymore. Okay. I'm not into it. So this is when things kind of went in a different direction for him. Mm -hmm. He also started experiencing migraines and blacking out, which indicates the brain injury stuff, right? Mm -hmm. During this time, he was also out stealing shoes and underwear again. He at times also was living out a female persona. Remember, this is the 60s, so gender fluidity was very much not accepted. Mm -hmm. He would dress in, quote, women's clothing, and that seemed to be like part of the problem. But again, like how suppressive. I know. So he had he had this big collection of things that he had stolen and he kept it in his garage and his wife was not allowed in unless she checked in with him over the intercom system that he had set up. Then on January 26, 1968, 19-year-old Linda Slauson knocked on Brutus's door selling encyclopedias. Brutus was able to somehow get her into the basement where he knocked her out with a plank of wood before strangling her to death. Then he dressed her up, posed her, and took photos. He also cut off her left foot with a hacksaw saw, kept it frozen, and used it to model his shoe collection. When he was done with Linda's body, he dumped her in the Willamette River. Exactly 10 months later, on November 26th, Brutus stopped by a car that was broken down on the side of the interstate and offered a ride to 23-year-old Jan Susan Whitney. He's like, I can give you a hand. I can help you out. Why don't you come to my house so you can call a tow truck? They got to his house, and while they were still in the car, he strangled Jan with a leather strap and raped her. After killing her, he hung her by a pulley in his garage and over the next several days, dressed her up, took photos of her, and raped her more. Brutus also cut off one of Jan's breasts and made a resin mold of it and then proceeded to use it as a paperweight. Yeah. I don't, I don't know much about this guy. I just know the mind hunter guy. Yeah. He also dumped her body in the Willamette River along with Linda Slauson's foot tied to a railroad iron. He was disposing of Linda's foot because it had become rotten. Mm-hmm. On March 27th, 1969, Brudos, dressed in women's clothing, abducted 18-year-old Karen Sprinker. He took her to his garage where he forced her to try on underwear and pose for him while he took photos. He then strung her up on his garage pulley, she was still alive, and strangled Mm. her by hanging. He raped her body several times and cut off both of her breasts to make plastic molds. He then tied her body to a six-cylinder engine with a nylon cord and threw the engine along with Karen's body into the Willamette River. On April 21st, he unsuccessfully tried to abduct 24-year-old Sharon Wood and failed again the very next day when trying to kidnap 15-year-old Gloria Jean Smith. But attempt number three... The day after that, on April 23rd, 1969, was an unfortunate success. Mm. 22-year-old Linda Sally, like the victims before her, was taken to Brutus's garage where she was strangled and raped. Once she was dead, Brutus attached an electrical unit to her body to try and make her jump. Jeez. 
after he was done, he tied her body to a car transmission with a nylon cord and then threw her into his regular spot, the Willamette River. So in May of that year, not long after his last attack. How long after my birthday? Oh, my God. Um, I don't know. It just said I it was on Gabe's birthday. They were like, oh, this feels like an important date. Yeah. In May, not long after his attack, fishermen found Sally and Sprinker's bodies, Mm -hmm. Bruto's last two victims in the Long Tom River. Police began asking around at the nearby college campus about, quote, suspicious men. One girl who Brutus had asked out several times told police that he was fucking weird. So they Mm -hmm. reached out to him. And he had, I mean, he had been brought up by a couple of students because they were like, yeah, there's this guy who asks about taking pictures and is like asking women on dates and just is off. Yeah. So these cops reach out to him. Brutos gave them a false address which made them immediately be like, oh, this guy is way more suspicious than we originally thought, so now we're really gonna look into him. Mm-hmm. After doing police work that the police have to do, they were able to get a search warrant for his garage and when they searched it, they found copper wire that had been cut with the same tool that the nylon cord used to tie the victims had been cut with, among mm-hmm. other things, like fucking photos of the victims, a collection of stolen items, all of this evidence Mm -hmm. and after his arrest brutos made a full confession he then pled guilty for the first degree murders of jan karen and linda sally and was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences he had also confessed to linda slauson's murder his first victim as well but wasn't tried for it because he didn't have photos of her body he only had photos of her foot I don't get why that is when you give a full confession but yeah her body was never found so Jan's body was recovered a mile downstream from where Brutos had dumped her a month after he was convicted. Brutos spent three years in the Oregon State Penitentiary collecting shoe catalogs and making appeals. But then in 1995, the parole board was like, you need to just fucking give it up because you're never going to be released. And he's like, Mm -hmm. okay. Brutos died in prison on March 28th, 2006 of liver cancer. You stupid bitch. Wow. I don't like that. Yeah, I also don't like it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Next week, we have season four, episode 17, Privilege. Benson and Stabler go to a crime scene. A young woman is dressed in a maid's uniform and has apparently committed suicide. When you huh. said it was privilege, I thought it was just going to be a the story of Ben Affleck's life or something. <laughs> Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Fucking go on our Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. Check us out on Instagram at SVUPod. Give us a couple stars. Give a us five. A Give us five stars. Join our Patreon and you can support us in so many ways. Yeah. What's our P.O. box? Anything you want to plop in the mail and send our way, just send it to SVUPod, P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin. 53532. Five, I actually have to yeah. run over there today and pick up some shit because our snacks from Sapphire are here. Yeah, we have one of our Australian listeners sent us Australian snacks and we're going to take videos of us trying them out and then put it on the Patreon. So excited. Hashtag a little bit loud if you want to find some cute little indie pods. Independent podcasting. Mm-hmm. And tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends about us. Tell your mom. I almost said the exact same thing. Tell that bitch we said what's up. <laughs> Say hello to your mother for me. All right. Uh, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. All 
All right, Hot Bob Squad, Crime Lab Guy. Bob Squad. What, did I say Bob Squad? You did. Oh my God, it's just like a whole team of guys named Bob. <laughs> Bob like Saget, Bob, Bob, Bob Newhart, Bob, Bob De Niro, Bob, <laughs> Bob's Burgers. Burgers. <laughs> All these dudes hang out. Bobby! Okay. Jaron Stone Vagina Movie. <laughs> I when you said Kunsong was eating four blocks away with Chambers, my brain went Kunsong was eating four blocks of cheddar. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, then, and then, yeah. <laughs> Kunsong was housing bricks of cheese. <laughs> Torlit Squad patrons: Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, Elki H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex. Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyanga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Daniel W, Kelsey D, Jenna M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bayer, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Sarah, Emily A, Angela D, Mac, and Louise M. Thanks, y'all. Return of the Mac, return of the, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>